We just pray there'd be an undercurrent, spiritual undercurrent to this whole season for us, a connecting with truly the gift that's been given in Christ. And we celebrate that gift every week, every, all the time. But at this time in Christmas, we kind of do it in a special way. And, and so help us to connect with the goodness uh, of the, the Trinity, the Father, Son, Spirit, uh, as we, we, we remind ourselves of the incarnation, what an amazing miracle that was. Help us to, to, to live out of a, a more profound understanding of the grace and the love of God in pursuing us. Um, Lord, that's what we, we hope for during this season. Thank you for this community in which we can um, pursue uh, that truth and, and, and that relationship and in which we get to pursue one another in relationship to continue to bind our congregation together, we pray. Um, help people to learn each other's names and help people to be in each other's lives. And as we're going to talk about today, help people to invite each other to the table um, to have meals together and just create community that's life-giving and centered around Christ. And we pray for our nation too, Lord, during this season. We have been praying, we continue to pray that you'd bring healing where there's brokenness. Um, We understand uh, that there is great brokenness and as Christians, we have to connect with that and understand it and strive to understand it if we have not, even if we've not personally experienced it in the same way. And so help us as a community of faith to be pursuers of one another and pursuers of, of those who had different experiences from us. And um, we pray that you would, you would knit us together in that way. And we also pray um, just for the hard work that it is for our peace officers in this country, uh, the, the, the complexity um, that is present there. We ask for the best possible training for them, and we pray for, um, uh, for them as they step out in courage day after day. And um, we just ask your hand of protection there. And we know that in Christ, all these... Uh, confusions and fractures in relationships can be mended and healed. And so help us to be the church, the amending sort of balm in the midst of um, the, the, the struggles and the race relations that have, that have broken apart in some ways over these last weeks and months. Lord, help us to, to lead the way in being pursuers of one another and bringing about reconciliation. And uh, we'll give you the glory. We know that Christ came in part to bring people together. And so uh, we thank you for that. Thank you that we get to be a part of that ministry. Help us to be truly your church, the hands and feet of Christ, the body of Christ in the world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So when I was a junior in college, I had the blessing, the privilege of going to Spain to study for a year. And uh, I spent that year in Madrid, and I would travel uh, to various places as I could around Europe. And during Christmas, right around this season, when I was there that year, I went down to southern Spain and then crossed over into Morocco and had a great time traveling through Morocco. And a defining moment happened while I was in Morocco. I was carrying a Canadian passport because I was born in Canada and I was Canadian. Uh, and, and, I, and, and I was, uh, I was in a... Simple. Uh, and, 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 and so uh, I was carrying this passport and I was in... I was in a particular uh, spot having tea. The Moroccans love to get together and play cards and have tea. And I was with a guy I'd met who spoke Arabic, and we were having this conversation. And I was being asked about what it's like to be a Canadian. And I was one when my parents moved to San Diego, so I really had no concept of what it meant to be a Canadian. And I knew that it was cold there. Uh, I knew that generally Canadians are not as nice people, right? 
And I knew from visiting a couple of times that they had salt and vinegar chips way before we did. Um, so that was my extent, really. And they were asking me, and then this defining moment, the, the uh, Moroccan guy turns to me and he goes, he basically goes, you're not really a Canadian. <laughs> and and, and I, I looked at him and I thought, after being in Europe for uh, you know, a number of months, I thought, yeah, that's kind of true, isn't it? I'm not really a Canadian. And it sort of started this whole process. I finished out my time, I came home, and I went to get my citizenship. And the first day I went down to INS, is what it was called then, and, and uh, went through the process. I got there at 6 a.m. I got a number to get my citizenship. And at 2 p.m., I got there at 6 a.m. At 2 p.m., I realized there was no way they're going to call my number that day. So I'd waited the whole day and had to leave and go back. I did that several times. It probably took me two years to get uh, to that place where I could get my citizenship because it was so, so difficult. Now, that's a very mild kind of experience. But it gave me, uh, it gave me an understanding. You think about, well, what about all the other people in the world who are displaced or don't have that sense of, of, of a home? All people in the world who are thinking, you know, uh, who am I? What's my identity? Kind of like that moment. I'm not Canadian, but I'm not an American either. Uh-oh, what am I? Am I just floating out there? And, and, and my experience was mild, but there are people all over the world who have that in a much stronger way. They're displaced. They're disconnected. And, and that, that is kind of the topic that we're talking about. What is the, what is the Christian response to the foreigner, to the stranger, to the person who's displaced, or even the person who feels like an outcast, the person who's on the outside. And we think about how uh, significant this is. I mean, it permeates all of life. In fact, some of the, the reason I think that we're having the protests that we're having and the, the struggle and the pain is because there's a group of people in our society that feel like they're on the outside, that feel like the laws don't apply to them in the same way that they apply to other people. And as a result of that, they have that sense of being displaced. Um, and so, so there's, there's that example again. Um, we know that, that, that in our midst, you know, we have lots of people who are from other countries. In this church, it's amazing. One time we had a home group that had a meeting with people from five different continents in one home group meeting. Um, and so, you know, I mean, it's some of the continents it's really hard to get people from. So that's pretty amazing um, to have people from all those different continents in one meeting. So we've got people from all over the world as part of our congregation. We know what it's like to be a stranger, to be a foreigner, to be a sojourner, to be an alien. We know what that's like. And then it comes to the smaller things too, right? We, you know, we move from one place or even one neighborhood to the next and you first get into that neighborhood and you're, you're like, I'm the new person. Well, you know, I'm on the outside. You know what it feels like to be on the outside. Or if you change jobs, you go into your workplace and you feel this sense of being on the outside, being a stranger, being a foreigner. And so what does the Bible say? What does Christianity, what does Jesus have to say about how we approach the person who is on the outside? That's the question we want to grapple with. We're in this series called Give Like Jesus. And over the past three weeks, we've been talking about what it would be like to take your Christmas and turn it around a little bit and really focus on what it means to give in the way that Jesus Christ gave to us. We know that Jesus gave to his treasured possession, as the Old Testament calls the people of God, his beloved. Jesus gave to his beloved. But then, and these are kind of the same people in an odd way, he also gave to his enemies, those who were against God. Those who, who, were, who were sinful people, he gave to his enemies, which is a wonderful, beautiful thing. So we talked about that last week. What would it be like for us during this Christmas season to think about what, what it would mean to give to somebody you're at odds with, somebody who's kind of an enemy to you, and could we give a gift like that? So we're inviting people to give a special gift to somebody that's treasured, to somebody beloved, and we're inviting people to give a special gift 
to uh, somebody who's on the enemy side. Uh, and then we're inviting you today to give a special gift to somebody who's, on the out, who somebody's an outsider, somebody who's, who's a stranger, who's a foreigner. And that could be in any of the contexts that I mentioned already. Um, if you'd open to Exodus 22, we'll get started in this. Exodus 22, verse 21. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll give one to you. It's page 55 in that particular Bible. We're going to be looking at a number of various scriptures, so we're going to be doing that cross-country thing through the Bible uh, briefly here uh, so that you get a sense of the, the theme. Because it turns out that caring for the alien, caring for the stranger, caring for the sojourner or the foreigner is a significant theme in the scripture. It's a significant theme in the scriptures. The redemption story, starting with Abraham, is to take somebody who is, is in a place, and then they become a sojourner. They become a wanderer, a foreigner. And, and it's through that person that God begins the redemptive process that, uh, that, 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 in, that unfolds completely all the way towards Jesus Christ. Um, there are numerous commands throughout the Old Testament about how one is to treat the foreigner, the stranger, the alien in your midst. And then there are even entire books. So, for example, the book of Ruth is about what it means to treat the foreigner or the stranger well, to treat the alien in your midst, to treat that person well. There's a whole book. The book of Ruth is about that. And then emblematic are these verses I want to look at in Exodus. Emblematic of this theme that's so important throughout Scripture are these verses in Exodus. Look with me. Exodus 22, verse 2021 says this, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him. Now, that word sojourner could also be translated, and you'll see this in various English translations, alien or foreigner or stranger. Those are all ways that you could translate the word sojourner. There's lots of different terms for a sojourner or a foreigner in the Scripture, and we have lots of terms in English as well. And that speaks to the prevalence of this theme, this issue. So it says, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. And then Exodus 23, 9, You shall not oppress a sojourner. Again, could be translated in those various ways. And listen to this. I love this. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So in other words, don't oppress them because you know what it's like to be them. You know what it's like to be a foreigner. You know what it's like to be a stranger, an alien, because that's what you were in Egypt. And so there's this kind of sojourner succession, we could say, where uh, you were strangers in Egypt, God embraced you, you know what it's like to be embraced as a sojourner, so now you go and embrace the foreigner the sojourner, the stranger in your midst. See that? There's kind of a chain here, starting with God, going through God's people, and then going on to those who find themselves in the alien position uh, currently. And so God gives clear direction, too, on how uh, the, the, the Israelites were to embrace the sojourner in their midst. So if we had time, we could go through in the Old Testament, they were to give assistance in, in the form of providing food. So when they were in doing the harvest and they were gleaning in the fields, they were to leave what was left over so that the foreigner could come along and, and get it so that they would have food. And in some cases in the book of Ruth, they even left extra on the ground so that as Ruth is coming along, she can get plenty of food so they can have food. So they're supposed to provide for the foreigner in their midst. They were supposed to also protect the foreigner in their midst. So there's these 
statements about the cities of refuge, which would be for also the foreigner or the alien who would need it. And then they were to uh, allow them to participate in the community. And so the person on the outside, the stranger, the sojourner, was welcomed into the community of faith to participate in the feasts, which were the, the, the core of their religious celebration. And so they were to invite the stranger in to be a part of this feast. It's really remarkable when you think about how people have treated the strangers and the foreigners throughout history. It's remarkable to see how they were treated, uh, how God commanded Israel to treat the foreigner in their midst. It's a beautiful, a beautiful thing to take care of them, to protect them, and to allow them to participate in the community. And so Israel's identity, though, as a sojourner, goes even deeper than that. So on the physical level, they knew what it was like because they were in Egypt, but there's a deeper level of being a sojourner, a stranger, a traveler. And King David brings it out in Psalm 39. This is sort of the spiritual level of being the sojourner. Psalm 39, 12 says this. David's writing. He's praying his heart out. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you a guest like all my fathers. And so David is saying essentially that anybody who's tried to approach God always comes as kind of a stranger, as a foreigner, as a sojourner. Whenever we want to approach God, we come from that place of being on the outside with the hope that God will welcome us in and bring us in. Now, if you go through the Old Testament, by the time you get to the New Testament, the people of God have in fact alienated themselves spiritually from God. They have turned their backs, they have sinned, they have fought with one another, they have been disobedient, and so they are then, uh, they are alien to God, and they're in exile. God uh, decides to scatter them to get their attention so that ultimately he can bring them back, but he scatters them, and they're aliens, and they're, they're scattered throughout, and we have the end of the Old Testament, and there's this huge 400-year time frame in which they're, they're seeking for God to speak but he does not speak uh, in that time, and they're just they're alienated from him, and they're they're wondering what will happen next, and they're hoping, and they're 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 waiting, and in the midst of that waiting, in that sense of alienation, and that estrangement from God, in the midst of that, Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus is God's pursuit of us as human beings, estranged human beings, to bring us back into the fold. And Jesus embodies the character of God in his reaching out to the stranger, to the one who's on the fringe. He said things like Matthew 25, verse 35. Jesus is teaching and he says, For I was hungry and you gave me food to his disciples. He says, I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a, see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And, Jesus, when, when, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Jesus says them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so uh, Jesus teaches that we're to go after the stranger to bring him in. We're to bring the stranger in. But then he models it as well. And, and one of the, he models it in many different ways. But one of the most 
profound and simple ways in which Jesus models love for the outsider, the stranger, the one on the fringe, is through his table fellowship. Now, we think it's kind of important when you invite somebody over for dinner, but in Jesus' day, it was a huge deal. There were all kinds of significances that went along with inviting somebody over for dinner. Uh, a man named S.S. Barchi, who's a, a professor, uh, a scholar in this particular field, uh, talking about the culture in Jesus' day, writes this about table fellowship. He says, It would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century of our era. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcomed at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal for unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom one had shared the table was viewed as particularly reprehensible. On the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. Even everyday mealtimes were highly complex events in which social values, boundaries, statuses, and hierarchies were reinforced. Anyone who challenged these rankings and boundaries would be judged to have acted dishonorably, a serious charge in cultures based on the values of honor and shame. Listen to this. Transgression, transgressing these customs consistently would make a person an enemy of social stability. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus transgressed the customs of table fellowship to bring in people who were on the outside to the inside. He transgressed table fellowship customs to bring the sinner, the, the traitor, the one who was unacceptable to the inside, the, the one who was foreign, the one to the inside. Uh, that's what he did. So when, Zacche when he comes along into town and Zacchaeus, the tax collector, everybody knows Zacchaeus. He's, a, he's the chief collector, so he's over. Everybody hates Zacchaeus because he steals their money, and uh, he's a traitor, basically. He's, he's co-opted himself with uh, the Roman rulers that are over them. And, and Jesus says, I'm coming to your house to eat with you, Zacchaeus. He reaches across the table to the outsider, the, the quintessential outsider, embraces him and brings him in. So Jesus teaches about bringing in the outsider, and then he models how to bring in the outsider with his table fellowship. But then Jesus goes one further than that. You see, Jesus becomes, at the end of his life on earth, the outsider. He takes on the mantle of the estranged one, the alien the one on the outside, the foreigner, he takes that on so that he can bring us in. When Jesus was taken outside of Jerusalem to be hung on that cross, he was at that time the alien, the foreigner, the estranged one. But the work that he did on that cross enabled us to be forgiven of our sins so that we could be restored to fellowship with God. Hebrews 13, 12 says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, 1 Peter 3, 18. So Jesus teaches about bringing in the stranger. He models it, but then he becomes the stranger. 
This is the heritage that we have been given. This is, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is to understand all of what has been done on behalf of the stranger and the foreigner. And we are that foreigner, that stranger who has been brought in. We know what it's like, just like he said with the Egyptians. We know what it's like, and we are brought in. All believers are sojourners who are brought in. And because of that, going back to Exodus, because we are the sojourner who's been brought in, we are to go out and bring in the sojourner as well. I want to make two statements about how we apply this in our lives. There's a powerful truth that then needs to kind of work its way into how we actually live. And the first one is simply this, is we can't really talk about loving the foreigner, the stranger, the sojourner without talking about literally loving the foreigner, the stranger, the sojourner in our midst. And by that I mean the one, the immigrant or the refugee who's come from a foreign land and come to this place. And I know this is a hot topic. We talk a lot about immigration and we talk about immigration policy. And so for the rest of the time I'm going to go through, I'm going to read our immigration policy and talk about, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, Because I've tried to look into it some and I know how complex it is and it's hard to understand. And we probably, you know, like with all political things, we, have a, we, we, we disagree even within the, the, the family of God on how to approach some of these things. Um, but here's what we can do in this kind of a context is we can say, okay, well, what are the values that have to be present as we have the discussion about immigration and loving the person who is uh, coming from the outside? What are the values that have to be a part of our conversation? And really there are two principles that we have to embrace if we are truly going to be followers of Christ. The first one is that same word, that we would embrace the outsider. And I love Deuteronomy 10, 17, because it puts a little bit more concrete definition around what it means to embrace the outsider. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19, we read this, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. Now, I want you to observe something very important there. We talk a lot about justice for the fatherless and the widow, and we, 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 we put those two together. But what we might not realize is that the sojourner is often lumped in with that group. The foreigner, the one on the outside, is often lumped in with that group. And so if we're going to care about the fatherless and the widow, we also need to be thinking in terms of the sojourner, the foreigner, uh, the immigrant who's on the outside, the refugee. All of those are part of it. So, And then what does it look like to, to love the sojourner? It says, giving him food and clothing. It says, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So again, we have that the sojourner succession. Because you were a sojourner and God loved you, you go out and love your, the sojourners who are around you that are in your sphere. And the way you do that, very tangibly, is providing food and clothing. And the way you do that in, in a more uh, theoretical way is to love. Whatever it is to love the sojourner, that's what we're called to do. And if you look at the broad sweep of Scripture, you'll see that that is the primary stance that we are to take towards the sojourner, towards the foreigner, to, towards the one who's on the outside. Love the sojourner, it says. But we also have another scripture that principle that we have to hold and balance as we talk and think through immigration and policy and how we're going to interact with all of that. And that is the call for integrity, Romans 13, 1. 
Romans 13.1 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, if there are laws in the land, we're to uphold those laws. And this is where the challenge is for us as Christians. How do, we be, how do we bring those two together? How do we find a balance between those two? How do we both uphold the call to obey the law and also the call to welcome the foreigner, to bring in, to love, to clothe, to feed those who are on the outside? And that's the tension in which we live as we address this issue. And legislatively or politically, it's very possible and likely that we will differ on how to balance those two, and that's okay. But what we have to acknowledge as followers of Jesus Christ, that those two have to be balanced. Whatever our position, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we've got to balance both of those. And we should probably acknowledge the extra tremendous weight that the Bible puts on the first part, which is embracing the foreigner, the stranger, the outsider. And as we talk about, like in our membership class, with all these kinds of political things, Um, Some of you are very exercised about these issues. You may have very strong opinions about immigration, and I I hope you will refine those opinions through the scriptures that I've talked about. You will help those, you will make sure that those opinions you have are in line with the scripture that we're talking about. Uh, And that's great. And some of you look for every opportunity, whether it be home group or some other conversation, to try and talk about uh, immigration, and you're, you're very intense about it, and you have strong thoughts about it. And there's a lawnmower going on outside. And we're going to not pay any attention to it. Uh, and so you have very strong thoughts about this immigration stuff. And here's what I want to say. If you, if you feel that strongly, and if it's something that you just feel like you've got to turn conversations in that direction, and you're just boiling on the inside, that's usually a call that you should get involved on some level with this issue. What, what I think is unhealthy in a community is when we have our, you know, maybe some, some pet issues that we feel very strongly about, and we spend all our energy just talking about it, but never doing anything about it. And so whatever, however you slice up you know, politically and legislatively you know, these kinds of issues, if it's something, a deep burden for you, then I want to encourage you to step out and get involved, take action, if that's what God's calling you to do. And I I believe that in a congregation like ours, there will be many people who will be called in the gospel to take action in these kinds of things. Uh, And if you are, let me uh, invite you to consider one particular approach. We have a ministry that's part of the group of churches that we're a part of called Immigrant Hope. And I love the way that this ministry balances the scriptures we've talked about and the principles. It says that, first of all, we want to reach out to those who are uh, estranged, those who are displaced, those who are refugees, those who are foreigners in our midst. And we want to provide for them. We want to care for their needs. We want, to, we want to give them what they need. But we also want to help them on a pathway towards citizenship. And so they've got counselors to help people with that. And what a beautiful way to come with the gospel in a needy sort of situation and bring both of those. And so if you feel called to do some ministry in that kind of line, I encourage you to look up Immigrant Hope and, um, and, to, and to get involved with that ministry. It's a great opportunity. So that's the first one. We have to talk about this as it reflects on immigration and and, and refugees in our country, in our society. But then we have to press this down to a a, a deeper level, to a more personal level with us. And these two might overlap. Who is the alien in your life? Who is the person who's on the outside 
in your particular sphere. Now, that may be somebody who's also an immigrant, a foreigner, a stranger. It may be somebody like that, but it may be somebody who's not, who's American, but who is on the outside. And this may be somebody who uh, has to do with, uh, they're just they're, they're in your workplace and they're on the outside. They're in your school and they're on the outside for some reason. They're, uh, they're, they're somehow on the outside. Um, they're on the outside because of, uh, because of who they are and what they're like. Um, they're a stranger or a foreigner. It could, be, it, could be, it could be any of those because we're called to reach out to that person as well, that, that stranger. It could be because there's a broken relationship. It could be all kinds of things that, that keep people on the outside, that put people in that place of being unloved so to speak. And during this season, we're inviting each other to give like Jesus, to give a special gift, first of all, to, to, to the beloved, to your enemy, and in this case, to the unloved. Is there somebody in your sphere? Is there somebody you can reach out to, somebody around you that you can love in a way that you uh, maybe God is calling you to love that person? And there are different ways to do that. Sometimes it's a gift, a physical gift, although we've been encouraging one another to think beyond you know, swiping your credit card to give a gift to somebody and to really give from within, to give something that's precious to you or give your time or give your relationship. To give those kinds of gifts at this Christmas season is so, so much more powerful. So who's, who's the outcast, the one on the outside, the stranger, the foreigner that you can give a gift to this Christmas, that you can love, somebody that you can love during this Christmas season? that you can include. And, and I have this strange sort of confidence that when we think about these things, the Holy Spirit will often prompt us with a face or a name. And so even as I'm talking right now, you may, you may be thinking about your workplace or your neighborhood or somebody in your family or somebody around you. You may be thinking about somebody that comes to mind and, and maybe that's a prompting from the Holy Spirit. That's the one for you to give to during this Christmas season, the, the one who's on the outside. And don't let that drop to the ground. If, if the Holy Spirit prompts you with that kind of a, a call to give in the way that Jesus gives, then answer that call during this season. So pay attention to those promptings. And let me just finish with this final thought. There's a story uh, of Christopher Wright, who's a theologian, and he's writing about a friend of his. And he says, he says this about his, his friend, an Indian friend, that he met, and this Indian friend was a Christian, and he asked him about the process of coming to faith. And his Indian friend said to him that um, early on, he had been a follower. I mean, he had, he had not been a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, but he was a part of the, the Dalit uh, caste in India. Now, if you don't know anything, I don't know if I'm even saying that the correct way, but if you know anything about the caste system in India, uh, the Dalits, I believe, are the very lowest of the low. They're the outcasts uh, in India. And so... He was um, of the Dalit caste, an um, intelligent young man who wanted to uh, sort of demonstrate, um, you know, sort of the injustice at all. And so he thought, I'll just study really hard and I'll become an engineer and, and, and I'll show the world that, you know, I am something. And he gets to college and in his dorm room, there's a Bible and he starts to read this Bible and he starts in the Old Testament. He opens up and the first story that he reads is this old story of uh, the, Naboth's vineyard and Ahaz. And it was a story of a king, uh, an unjust king, who, who steals essentially the vineyard of Naboth. And Naboth can do nothing about it. And as this young Indian man from the Dalit caste is reading it, 
He says, that's my story. My family has had everything taken away unjustly. Over and over again, we've been repeatedly abused by those above us in this way. And then something very unexpected happened in the story for this young man. He kept reading and he learned that Elijah came, the prophet, and he called out King Ahaz and he he declared that he denounced Ahab and he said, you will be judged and you will be punished for what you've done to this poor neighbor. And that was something that this Indian, this young Indian man didn't expect at all. He says, of all the millions of gods that I can worship in, in my religion, I have never experienced a god like this. And literally he said this, he said, here was a god who took the side of the suffering ones and condemned the government and the powerful for their wicked deeds. I never knew such a God existed. See, we, we proclaim, we declare that He does exist. A God who cares for the outsider, the one who's on the fringe, the foreigner, the alien, the stranger, the outcast. He does exist. The God who cares for that one exists. And moreover, we are His people. And so we're to reflect His heart as we move through this world. So God, would you help us? Help us to reflect your heart as we move through this world. Help us to be the kind of people who love in the way that you've called us to love. Who are quick to notice the stranger, the one on the outside. Even in this Christmas season where those those of us who maybe are on the outside of family relationships or other kinds of environments, we feel that strangerness, that estrangement more acutely because of the pressure of the Christmas season. And so the opportunity for us to love is so much stronger and powerful now. So help us to be your your body, the hands and feet of Christ, to fan out from this place today with love in our hearts, the kind of love that can only come from Christ, the sacrificial kind of love to reach out to the estranged one, the displaced one, whether that be the refugee in our neighborhood or the estranged one in our workplace or in our families. Lord, put in our minds that person to whom you're calling us. And then empower us and strengthen us. Give us vision and then give us the strength and the courage and the power to step out and be like Jesus in this. And we know when we do that, we're going to, We're going to see the body of Christ reflecting the heart of God. And when the world sees that, it stands up and takes notice. Because the heart of God is beautiful and compelling. And there's nothing like it. So make us the kind of community that reflects your heart, Lord. In this place where you've planted us. In Jesus' name, amen.